0: Go. Yeah. Sickening. That's the nothing personal word of the day. Sickening. I'm sick to my stomach. It's Monday, January twenty third, two thousand twenty three. One twenty three. Twenty three. Jerry Jones is sick. He said the loss last night against the Niners. It was sickening. Everybody who loses, when your season ends, don't forget what goes into a season. You start with shorts on, then you do workouts with shoulder pads and shorts then you go full pads then you go through preseason which stinks you learn the playbook you by the way the front office has put their team together during the offseason but then the grind of the season week in week out you get into a routine it's all about football then you make the playoffs which the cowboys should be expected to do because Jerry Jones is the best GM in football most valuable team so that means he's the best owner in football and the best gm in football you work your ass off all season and then boom it's gone done and now what you wake up today monday january 23rd jerry jones opens his eyes i'm picturing him with his nightgown and he's got sort of his kris kringle hat on and he puts his feet on the floor and he heads back to the office and says "All right." I got to push the boulder back up the hill. That's the equivalent of what every team executive does once their team's eliminated, whether it's the last day of the season when you haven't made the playoffs or when you've been eliminated from the playoffs. And here's what's worse. When you win the Super Bowl or the World Series, you still wake up the next day while you're planning parades and getting all excited and fitting yourself for rings. You still know you're about to push that boulder back up the hill. So I'm watching the Cowboys Niners game and I'm wondering how Dak Prescott doesn't have turnovers in his DNA the way Jerry Jones told me. I never have asked a player what a player has in his DNA. Do you not have the ability to make contact with two strikes in your DNA? I maybe should have asked that question more. Do you not have the ability to make a field goal or an extra point? Is that not in your DNA? Jerry Jones spent all the time in the week leading up to the Niners game, telling us that Prescott's great, don't worry about Marr, the kicker, he's gonna be fine. Everything's great. Reminds me of Wiley Coyote holding up the umbrella, the boulder's about to fall on his head. By the way, call back to the boulder from three minutes ago. Looking up and all of a sudden, boom, you're crushed. But then you come back to life because a new season starts, but you do the same thing over and over again, Jerry, and expect that you're going to get a different result. Are you insane? You're about to be in the fourth year of a Mike McCarthy era. How's that gone? You're about to go eight years with Dak Prescott. Do you not watch that game like the rest of us and say that Dak Prescott does not have what it takes to be a Super Bowl winning quarterback? that your defense under Dan Quinn was superior, but that your offense with Zeke and everybody else, there were injuries, that it's just not enough? He made a mistake as GM yesterday, which struck me because owners need to teach their GMs better. Owner Jerry Jones allowed GM Jerry Jones to talk to the media after the game in a scrum. He was getting on the team bus or the team limo. With a team transportation to get the hell out of San Francisco. That's one thing. When you lose, you're not spending the night. You are getting out of there. Get on the plane. Get home. Goodbye. He asked, he was talking about Mike McCarthy saying, what are you asking about Mike McCarthy? There's no decision that needs to be made. He was asked, is there a decision to be made? He said, no, not at all after every season no matter where your team is with their coach and in what year of the contract your team is in every gm and every president and owner everyone evaluates whether or not they want their manager or coach to be back it does even if you win the world series it's not a fait accompli It's not a foregone conclusion. You are doing that analysis. You would never have your GM after a playoff loss say anything like that because you don't know what your owner's gonna want. Now I grant you the GM and the owner is the same person, but they really aren't. The mentality of an owner and the mentality of a GM have to be different. And maybe that's been Jerry Jones's problem why they haven't been to a, a, I was gonna say World Series, why they haven't been, we're live. Why they haven't been to a three, six, nine. Maybe that's why the Cowboys haven't been to the Super Bowl since 1995 or January of 1996. Maybe that's why they could only win their first playoff game on the road in over a decade when they beat the Tom Brady Tampa Bay Buccaneers this last week. But you gotta separate yourself even when you play both roles. Maybe Jerry Jones has just been bad at that from the beginning but he's got a lot to look at. When he looks as a GM, not an owner, because owners don't know anything about this. They're not focused on it. But when GMs look at that last drive that the Cowboys had, they see that Dak almost took a safety. They see that there was a wide receiver who was sloppy and didn't get his second foot down. And don't say that that was a tough play. That was just slop, straight slop. His name was Schultz. When you see that your coach is going forward on fourth down in the first quarter and then not going forward on fourth down with two and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter after he went forward in the first quarter, as a GM, you're looking at that game. You're looking at the execution of the final non-Hell Mary, which wasn't a Hail Mary. It was like a 20-yard down and in or button that ended up being a problem. When you are the GM and you're looking at your kicker that gets a extra point blocked where a touchdown could have won a game and instead could only tie the game at 19-12, you say, we have a real problem with our team that needs to be dealt with. I'm gonna figure out how to make the changes necessary and then I'm gonna go to my owner and explain the changes I wanna make. I know that I've got Dak for two more years and the cap hits are insane, like over $50 million for the next two years. So I'm going to have to not suggest to my owner that I move on from Dak. May I explore a trade? I may. May I see if there's a way to potentially upgrade at the quarterback position, upgrade at the kicker position, upgrade on offense in general? I got to think about those things if I'm GM. I look at that game and say, I'm not good enough. We're not good enough. Then you go to your owner and you say, this is my plan. That's the GM owner relationship. And you use the president as the person in the middle to try to get information. You think that a GM of the Cowboys, whoever that would be, would not use Stephen Jones to get to Jerry Jones? Hey, we got to really talk about the owner. Of course you do. But when your owner and your GM are the same person, how do you separate those conversations without being a split personality? You can't. If there were ever a moment for Jerry Jones to fire his GM and his head coach, this would be it. I would love to see Jerry Jones take the microphone. As proud as I am of him for owning the fact that he is making decisions as the owner to the point that he names himself GM, I would have so much more respect for the owner if he would look at his GM and announce That he's replacing his gm it would be a very simple press conference you only need one chair maybe two microphones you can move the chair from side to side you think that'll happen you think jerry jones and a man who's built a franchise to be maybe the most valuable franchise in all of sports you think that owner is going to be able to look at that gm and then look in the mirror and say, I will subjugate my ego, and I will recognize that the most important thing is to win. And in order to win, I need to be better. Therefore, I'm firing myself. It would be a first. Owners don't fire themselves. What about, did you see Patrick Mahomes yelling at the sideline? Let me give you a quick bit of medical advice practicing medicine without a degree, I grant you. A high ankle sprain in the middle of a football game or in the middle of a baseball game, when you get stepped on and your ankle bends the way Pat Mahomes' ankle bent, you're done. The fact that Mahomes was able to continue in that game is a modern medical miracle. They didn't tell us on the broadcast, but you really think that at halftime, they went in and taped that up and said, go get him? No chance toilet pants. There is an entire medicine chest in every clubhouse and locker room. There are ways to take away pain that you wouldn't believe. You can get a compound fracture and there are things that they can take away the pain and you can wrap that up, shove that bone back in the skin and get your butt back out there. Ah, that was not great. Here we go, ready? Start that again. The thing with being live is you're not allowed to start things again and I like starting things again. You think that there is not medicine that exists inside that locker room and that medicine was not given to Patrick Mahomes? You think he bit on like a dog bone and just said, wrap it, put me back out there, I'm good. Of course he got a shot. I wasn't joking when I tweeted about Toradol. I've taken Toradol. is a miracle drug it does bad things you can't take a lot of it but you don't feel a thing when you take toradol you can run seven marathons in seven days on seven continents and not realize that your feet are the size of your thighs not realize that you have a blister the size of the united states not realize that your knee is bone on bone it's easy give me that toradol so mahomes Doesn't play in the second quarter. Chad Henney, the backup quarterback, who's 59 years old, comes in, has a 98-yard drive, which is unbelievable to do when you're a backup quarterback or any quarterback. It's the longest drive in Kansas City postseason history. He's in the record book now, not Mahomes. Mahomes comes out for the third quarter. Everybody's jumping for joy. And all I'm thinking about is what's going to happen in the AFC Championship. How sad it is that we're not able to watch Mahomes be who Mahomes is. That's the best part about watching the Chiefs. That's what makes the Chiefs so good. Yes, the Chiefs were able to win. I do not understand how you allow him to play in that second half. I don't care how much he's yelling at me on the sideline. I don't care how many times he throws his helmet. I don't care about that because I want rings. And the best chance to help a high ankle sprain is to get off it, to put it in a boot, start treatment immediately. He started treatment two hours later than he needed to because he played in that second half. But David, what if they hadn't won? That's true. But you just saw your backup quarterback go 98 yards. I'm taking my chances because now I got to play Cincinnati, a game that we'll talk about next. And... I view myself as an underdog. I don't think the betting line, Coco, what is the line of the Bengals Chiefs in Kansas City? Are the Chiefs favored still by a field goal? Is that line moved yet at all? Because for me, the Bengals are clearly better than the Chiefs if Mahomes is not 100%. And here's a news flash: Tony Romo in this case is correct. Patrick Mahomes will not be 100% next week. There's a good chance he shouldn't even be playing next week. You can shoot it up and wrap it, but he's gonna become a pocket passer at best. None of the things that make him good, he will be able to do. In one week, here's the progress that you get on a high ankle sprain, absent drugs to mask the pain. 4%, 5% at most. Now he'll be in a boot and he's going to stay off it the entire week. He's certainly not going to practice this week. If Patrick Mahomes is practicing this week, that is doing a disservice. And when you've got a guy signed long term the way the Chiefs do, you're not risking permanent injury, but you're certainly risking other injuries because if he starts compensating the way he was, remember how he was hopping to make those handoffs? When you're hopping to make a handoff, or you are favoring your leg and changing your throwing mechanics, it's why we don't let pitchers pitch with lower lower body injuries, because then they're doing something different. The angle is different, the push-off is different, so you're doing something that is risking injury to your arm. So while it's only an ankle, we're not going to let a pitcher throw with a high ankle sprain, because then we're risking a shoulder or an elbow, and it's just not worth it. There's too many opportunities for something bad to happen to Patrick Mahomes to have him go out. They've gotten their Super Bowl victory. Of course, they want more, but I have too many opportunities to win going forward with Reed or Reed's successor and Mahomes that there's just no chance I want to do that. I mean, we'll see what happens. But the only thing I'll mention to you on this issue is I don't care what a player wants. I've been begged by players to play. Put me in, let me play. I'm good, I'm healthy, I'm ready. It's not up to the player. You do not listen to your player ever, especially in the heat of battle. That's like going to the mound in baseball and actually asking your pitcher, hey, how do you feel? What do you think, they're gonna be honest with you? Ask any major league pitcher what happens when the manager or pitching coach comes to the mound to talk about taking him out. And he's like, give me one more, I'm good. Let me get through it, let me get out of it. No problem. Players want to play in the heat of battle who are winning players. Patrick Mahomes is a winning player. He wants to be out there playing. So by definition, he is not the credible source for how he actually feels. You've gotta use your eyes, no analytics. You don't need your head in a computer or a spreadsheet. Use them. Les yeux. Anybody can look at Patrick Mahomes and say he shouldn't be playing. So they're going to go ahead and play the Bengals. I was rooting for the Bengals, I have to admit, because I didn't want to see a neutral game. I wanted to see Kansas City host the game. I wanted to see it happen the way it should happen. I think that we're going to have to talk about neutral games going forward. There's no question about it. But as I'm watching the Bengals-Bills play, It occurs to me, and who doesn't love watching a game in a snowstorm? All we do is talk about the Buffalo Bills, that Josh Allen is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He got, uh, remember when he signed for $250 million? We got him signed and wrapped up. They gave him like a guaranteed 150. We're good to go. The Buffalo Bills were not the better team yesterday. The Cincinnati Bengals were. Joe Burrow was the better quarterback. Their wide receiving core was better. Their defense was better. Everything about the Bengals, both sides of the ball was better on the road. And you always look for an explanation. The media does this, fans do this. Ah, the Bengals had a chip on their shoulder. I've spoken to you about bulletin board material. And I've told you how funny that is when you go into a locker room, there used to be a bulletin board and then it became a whiteboard and now it's all computer screens and how we never wanna give another team bulletin board material. You don't wanna say, hey, we're looking forward to playing the Chiefs before you're out there playing the Bills, right? The Bengals wouldn't do that because then the Bills would look at that and say, oh, you're disrespecting us. And then during COVID, we watched the last dance where we learned that bulletin board material is often made up, players make up like Michael Jordan. They try to find a reason to hate their opponent or to get motivated, to give themselves extra motivation. When you're playing on the road in Buffalo in the snow, you're not looking for extra motivation, but the Bengals thought they had it. They felt disrespected that they were not part of the neutral game scenarios. They felt disrespected that people in Atlanta were starting to buy tickets for a Chiefs-Bills game next Sunday. So Joe Burrow was saying, yeah, you know, we were disrespected, and once they won, now you all go get your refunds. That made me laugh. Players don't know how stadium operations work. Of course, Atlanta has to sell tickets to an AFC championship game between the Bills and the Chiefs before they know whether the Bills and the Chiefs are going to play. That is obvious. You can't start today and get everything done for Sunday. As a matter of fact, did you know, Joe Burrow, that the Cincinnati Bengals sold tickets for an AFC championship game? Because there's a scenario where they would host an AFC championship game. Let's pretend the Jaguars made it to the AFC Championship. You would host them. Do you know that every team in the playoffs sells tickets as though they are going to host games all the way up until the Super Bowl or all the way including the World Series? I don't know if you knew that. In baseball, if you have a chance at the playoffs in September, you are selling tickets to the World Series as though you're going to have home advantage why because we want your money to use as cash flow for the salaries that we're paying to players and staff then if we don't host a World Series game because either we don't make the playoffs or we make the playoffs but we play someone with a better record or we make the playoffs and don't make it all the way to the World Series do you know what we do with your money we make it really hard for you to get a refund we say hey In order to get a refund, you're gonna have to do the following six things. And if not, we'll put it in your account to credit toward next year's season tickets. Because then we get to keep your money. And we don't need to actually give you anything in return until April. How awesome is that? It sounds terrible. But that happens all the time. So of course, Cincinnati was selling tickets and so was Atlanta and everyone else. But it wasn't meant to be. I wonder whether the NFL was actually rooting for the bills. I'm gonna say yes. And the reason I'm gonna say yes is that if you're the commissioner of the NFL, you are always looking for ways to make more money to increase league revenue. Do you think that they would make 60,000 people unhappy in order to bring in an extra $20 million in revenue or $25 million in revenue? Yes. Do you think the NFL would make an entire city upset in order to make another city bid on hosting neutral site AFC and NFC championship games by extending the aura of the Super Bowl another entire week? Yes. Neutral site games are brilliant. Scott Boris has wanted a neutral site World Series forever. The reason why you try to know who's going to have home field advantage in the World Series before the World Series is paid so that city is preparing to host World Series games so the parties can be planned, so hotels can be reserved, so you can have all the venues ready because you know that there are going to be World Series games on particular days. If they knew in advance where the AFC and NFC championship games were going to be played, you'd get to activate sponsorships in ways that you don't do on a normal AFC championship game. You would get bigger money for it from your TV partners. You'd get more money for it from your corporate sponsors. You'd be able to charge more for tickets because you're going to get more public money. Now, why would a city give the league any tax incentives or public money to host a championship game? because they're getting a game that they otherwise wouldn't have had. You have the ability to bring a market, football to a market that otherwise wouldn't have it. It's brilliant. I think it's gonna happen. Let's pretend that the neutral site game would have happened this year in Atlanta. Forgetting the fact that MLB pulled the all-star game from Georgia, but let's just pretend Do you know what that would have resulted in? That has resulted in a real life, real world way to evaluate what the benefits were and you can blame it on what happened with DeMar Hamlin. Not your greed. They had the perfect cover. Now they're gonna have to find a way just to do it directly. So now you got Cincinnati ready to play in a rematch, trying to understand why they're not favored, why they're not having respect. Joe Burrow's in a position where he could be the Shohei Ohtani of football. If you're the Cincinnati Bengals who have a history of not really spending all that much money on an individual player, do you not sign Joe Burrow? Is he not worth more than Deshaun Watson? Boomer Esiason came out and said that would Burrow be the first $500 million quarterback? Here's a question I have for all of you football fans out there. Would you rather have Dak Prescott, Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, or Joe Burrow? Out of those four, are you going to say to me, first, I want to see what our team's made of. First, I want to see what other offensive weapons we have. First, I want to see what our defense is. No. Which of those four quarterbacks do you want right now? I'm taking Joe Burrow. All right, when we come back, we're going to review a movie that... uh I'm pretty sure that no one has seen, sort of like RRR, which once it gets nominated for the Oscars, which is tomorrow, nominations come out, maybe everyone will go see it. This could be another one of those movies. Then we're going to talk about something that happened in baseball uh, that is really not very smart. We'll be right back That is a mountain of entertainment. If you're watching this live right now on YouTube, you just saw a Paramount commercial. If you're not, then that was a commercial about Paramount if you're listening to this. It was a commercial about all the great things you get for Paramount Plus. Are you now realizing what sort of money is being put into streaming services? Just get used to it because behind a paywall and behind a streaming service is where you're going to live for the next forever. This ain't the Blu-ray, folks. Streaming services are here to stay. So I'm still watching a movie every day, because that's what I'm always going to do. I saw on Amazon that I could buy a movie for only 3 or four ninety-nine to rent it, I mean. It's called Onoda, 10,000 Nights in the Jungle. It's a three-hour movie. Is that overwhelming to you? If I told you to watch a miniseries that was three episodes only, or five episodes of 40 minutes each, are you in or are you out? You're in, of course you're in. Just pretend it's three episodes of an hour the backstory of this movie is insanity there was a japanese soldier who was living in the philippines after world war ii ended true story didn't realize the war had ended world war ii stayed there fighting and waiting to be rescued and found by his commander And told to leave the island because his assignment and you know how Japanese people are they are respectful they do their jobs when they're asked to do something they do it and they don't ask questions and they put the L in loyal this guy went from 1945 until 1973 almost 30 years in the jungle living in the jungle alone for most of it This is real. Please watch it. It is in Japanese. There are, you can watch it dubbed, but don't. Watch it in Japanese, watch the subtitles, and then ask yourself this question. What do you care about enough? What do you feel so strongly about that you would do something for 30 years and not believe all of the things that were done to get you to believe something because you didn't hear it from the one person who you were waiting to hear it from they dropped flyers from the sky because they didn't know where he was in the jungle they dropped flyers saying the war's over there were people telling him when he come across islanders or fishermen saying the war's over and he thought it was all a ruse to make him sort of not be at full attention it is Such a cool movie, such an interesting story, told in a way like picture Tropic Thunder where they sort of went into the jungles to try to film or picture some of the war movies where you're like, wow, that must've been a tough shoot. I'm not sure there's been a movie with a tougher shoot than this. It was like naked and afraid except a movie and real. It's called Onoda 10,000 Nights in the Jungle. Have you heard of Rod Carew? Rod Carew was a hitter. He played for the Minnesota Twins, the California Angels. I believe that he was the first person where I did not realize that there could be a black Jew when I was growing up. I believe that Rod Carew, even more than Sammy Davis Jr. I believe that Rod Carew was my first example of an athlete. And I tried to wrap my arms around that. I wasn't aware of the Ethiopian diaspora or any of the things that I'm aware of now because I was a kid. Rod Carew won the batting title and got traded. That's the last time anyone ever got traded who had just won the batting title. Well, there was a trade this weekend in Major League Baseball and it interested me for one reason, not because it involved the Marlins. I don't really care about, I mean, I'm six years removed. It's, it's another life. It's about to be season six that I will have been out of baseball. God, I've, only, I've been out now for a third of the time that I was in. Coco, we have not discussed that math. You and I have been together doing nothing personal. Oh God, sorry, Coco, you okay? Anyway, the Marlins traded pitching, and I just wanna talk about when you trade pitching for bats, the Marlins couldn't score runs, pretend it's any team. When you have great pitching and you need offense, you want to trade pitching to get offense. When you have great offense and need pitching, you trade your great offense. You trade from positions of depth in order to take care of positions of dearth. That is a well-known philosophy. The thing that is interesting about baseball is that there are a bunch of new rules that are starting this year. There's rules on the number of pickoffs. We're going to do a whole show to remind you of the new rules. Once spring training starts, once the season starts, which is March 30th. But there's new rules involving pitch clocks and defensive shifts. So there's all sorts of things that GMs and front offices are looking at to figure out how their approach is going to change. There's one approach that will not change. In order to win a game, you have to score more runs than the other team, period. So if you're the Marlins or any team and you are trying to trade a pitcher, you've got to get back run producers. Instead, they got back the batting champion from last year for the Twins, traded as a batting champion for the first time since Rod Carew was traded as a batting champion. Put him at the top of his lineup, the lineup for the Marlins. He is a great contact hitter, doesn't strike out, but he has zero power. So in order for him to be good, it's like having Juan Pierre on your team without Pudge Rodriguez or Miguel Cabrera. What's the use of it? What's the use of getting on base if you're not going to be driven in? Arez is getting a lot of attention as a new Marlin. Twins fans are wondering, how could you trade him? Are we getting the middle of the rotation guy for him? And I would argue that the Twins did way, way better in this deal. Having Pablo Lopez in your rotation makes you a better team. I understand you've lost your batting champion, but I also understand that he's not the one who is making the difference for you. You weren't winning anything as the Twins. You got Correa back. You got to find a way to get pitching. And if you're the Marlins and you've got the pitching, you've got to find a way to score runs. You need power. Imagine if they had someone in their minor league system who could come up to the big leagues and hit 30 home runs and strike out 250 times. If they had someone like that, why wouldn't you bring them up? So they bring in a middle infielder. When you are making a trade in baseball, You are doing your lineup before the trade and after the trade. You're doing your rotation before the trade and after the trade. You are doing your payroll before the trade and after the trade. You keep all those things in front of you and you're figuring out, is this a trade we have to make, meaning we have to cut payroll? Or is this a baseball trade that we want to make because we're making our team better? In which case, we calculate the number of games we win with our team before the trade, the number of games we win with our team after the trade, and that is one of the major ways that we decide how we're gonna make a trade. However, when you are bringing in a player where you have to upset another player, you gotta take that into account. And I never did. And that is one of the failings I had as an executive. I thought that it was fine to bring in a shortstop when we had a shortstop. I thought that a positional change is fine because they're all grown ups; it's no problem. But what's interesting to me is that the Marlins' best player is this guy, Jazz Chisholm. Jazz Chisholm, they got from the Arizona Diamondbacks for Zach Gallen. Jazz Chisholm was hurt last year, but when he's not hurt, he's an electric player. He's the one who had some clubhouse issues. He's extremely cocky, big ego, big personality, could be a superstar, not the face of baseball, not a superstar. You got to do it for more than one season. That's like saying Julio Rodriguez is a superstar. No, he had a great year for the Mariners. He signed for $200 million, but boy, he better come back and not have a sophomore slump. So Jazz Chisholm is the team's second baseman. He also plays shortstop. It was announced by the Marlins that he's gonna move to center field. And this did not get as much attention as it should have. You better know what you're doing when you're gonna take your best player and move positions. And Jazz Chisholm's response was, I'm going to go out, play that position center field and win a gold glove. I love the attitude that Jazz has. I love that you can build around a player like Jazz. But there's one thing he doesn't realize. And all he has to do is speak to Juan Pierre during spring training, who will teach him what it's like to play center field how hard it is to play center field, the toll it takes on your body to play center field, the difference between center field and second base, and then recognizing the impact that that's going to have on his bat. And if you don't take that into consideration, you're a fool. It's going to be very interesting to me. All the reports come out. They spoke to him. He was excited about it. They gave him a quote to say how good he's going to be. (laughs) give me a break here's what's gonna happen in real life wait to see is when he tell you something's gonna happen and we'll revisit it if it does not happen I promise you the Jazz Chisholm playing center field experiment it's not gonna go well Jazz Chisholm will play under 100 games next year in center field wait to see that's an official one all right nothing personal pick of the day did we have a week or what we went five and oh this weekend friday night we had the mavericks plus one over the heat they crushed the heat we finally won an nba game and i went four and oh i'm the anti-stugatz i went four and over the divisional round this weekend we had the jags plus nine over the chiefs how about that backdoor field goal cover baby it counts eagles seven and a half over the giants done what a terrible game. Giants fans out there, did you? are you upset with your coach, Brian Dabble? Are you upset with your team? You're upset with Daniel Jones? They didn't play well. Are you? Are you feeling like he was your savior and now he's not? Are you feeling like you wanted to sign him and make him your future after you turned down his fifth-year option? Are you despondent? Do you realize how much better the Eagles are than you are? Do you realize how bad the Vikings are? Can you imagine being the front office for the Vikings? Side note here, Koka. Can you imagine you're a Vikings GM or the owner? You're one of the Wilf brothers and you're watching the Giants play the Eagles. And you say to yourself, oh my God, we are so screwed. Our team is so bad. We lost to this team who's not even close to the Eagles. And that's where we want to get to, to be one of the best in football. Now, certainly we had a great record. We won all those one-score games. We set the record for winning the most one-score games in NFL history. Is that likely to happen again next season? My biggest takeaway from the Giants-Eagles game is that the Vikings are screwed and would not want to be in their front office. I don't know what the Giants are going to do with uh, Daniel Jones. I guess maybe they'll just let him go. Move on. Is he your guy? One good game? Come on. We had the Bengals five and a half over the Bills. I don't know who was thinking you should take the Bills and give that number of points. The Bengals are a better team. Look at what the Bills did against the Dolphins. Look at the level of competition that was the Dolphins. Look at what they had to do to beat the Dolphins and then recognize the Bengals are so much better than the Dolphins. The Dolphins front office, Steve Ross will never watch anything and in any way extrapolate what that means to the Dolphins. He's not that type of owner. He is. uh he is the worst type of owner because he's like his team's GM, but names team's names of GM makes, makes believe that he's not making decisions when, of course, he is. But if you're the owner of the Dolphins, Steve Ross, aren't you looking at your team who came close to beating the Bills and you're all excited because you're thinking the Bills are going to go ahead and he's rooting for the Bills to win the Super Bowl so he can say we were that close to beating a team that was good enough to win the Super Bowl, and then you watch him play the Bengals and say, oh, crap. Not only did we not beat the Bills, but, man, we're not even close to the Bengals. People do that. The Dolphins did that. And then, of course, we had the Niners minus four over the Cowboys. Thank God for missed extra points and stupid mistakes and sickening mistakes by the Cowboys. But that helped us go 5-0. and oh. For people placing actual bets we're now 12 and 12 this season we're still down 111 dollars because of the way odds work but we're back after an 0 and 7 start we've won 12 out of our last 17 <laughs> 12 and 5 in our last 17 so we're 12 and 12 so you're betting legally you always bet legally that's a little proviso if you are living in the washington area you can now go to fedex field congratulations, that's cool. You can't go to watch your team play in the playoffs, but you can go and bet in a sports book. That's a whole thing now. Remember when the first sports book was announced inside an arena and I said to you, this is just the beginning. You're now seeing them open, they're gonna be everywhere. We are a decade away. When a new stadium is built, when you're planning a new stadium, you can bet your bippy that part of the planning of that stadium, In baseball, lower capacity, make sure you've got an area for a women's and a men's umpire's locker room. And then make sure you've got space for a sports book. The amount of money, it's like uh, you have googly eyes. Every owner is so excited about gambling money. So they put the sports book inside FedEx Field. But do you know that the NFL has a policy that the books can't be open during games yet? So you can't bet on commanders or any game during a commander's game. Roger Goodell is going to change that league policy in the next five years at most. And the reason he's gonna change that policy is he's gonna recognize that if we want to have franchise valuations like the EPL and we wanna keep fans actually coming to games and raise ticket prices and make franchises worth more and more billions we better get people gambling inside our doors while our game is happening. It's been going on the EPL forever. You can walk up, I told you, like you're buying a hot dog, you buy a hot dog to the left and you bet on the next goal by Harry Kane on the right. That's what it's going to be. So the reason why the commanders and everybody else, the Cubs and all these other teams, are putting sports books in their arenas and in their stadia is that the rules will be that there aren't going to be any more rules. All right, I don't know why I got off on that tangent, Coco. All right, pick of the day for Monday. We're going back to the NBA. I believe that when you sit courtside at a game in the NBA or in any sport, that you should not be able to make a scene, right? Shannon Sharp made quite a scene during the Lakers-Grizzlies game. Didn't get ejected because he's famous, I guess, but sometimes famous people get ejected. He obviously was not under the influence or anything. He just got into it with some of the Grizzlies. Do you think Shannon Sharp really wants to go at it with Steven Adams? Anyway, the Grizzlies and John Moran's father, who is also in the crowd, was getting into it, and then they were seen hugging, and they're all excited. The Grizzlies are good. Grizzlies are only giving one and a half points to the Kings in Sacramento tonight. Sacramento is the worst team in basketball that sentence could have been used for every year for the past like 50 years but not this year sacramento is like a top four seed they have finally lived long enough in sacramento to say wow we don't need ernie grunfeld or phil ford we can do it on our own that's a throwback that only like 5,000 of you are gonna get and the rest are not and i'm okay with that The Kansas City Kings? Sacramento Kings? Anybody? Bueller? Anybody? The Grizzlies are so much better than the Sacramento Kings, however good they are. Grizzlies, minus one and a half over the Kings. All right. Something else happened uh, during the weekend that needs to be brought up, and and I'm just going to ask your opinion of that. There's a rule in the NFL that Makes no sense to me. When there there are committees that are formed to evaluate rules, there's called the rules committee, a competition committee, an, ex, an executive committee. There's all sorts of committees amongst owners and they put players on it sometimes. The new baseball competitive competition committee has players on it, but they don't have enough votes to actually do anything. So it's all about MLB and owners This is all about what owners want for their game. They own the teams. No matter how much you think it's a player-empowered league, owners are really the people who are in charge. There's a rule in football that you are not allowed to use foreign objects to line up a kick. Meaning when you are kicking a field goal, you can't put down a handkerchief or put down a tee or put down your shoes or put down a towel. For crying out loud, you can't even clear the area with anything other than your hands. Have you ever seen during a snow game when they're doing a field goal? They're out there, you've got all the offensive linemen out there clearing a path for the spotter to put the ball down because they're not allowed to use a shovel or anything else because God forbid you do anything to screw with the surface. Meanwhile, in baseball, we've got hoses. And we've got things that are helping the pitchers mound like these big stompers. We're pouring dirt all over the place. We've got sunflower seeds flying everywhere. But in football, for whatever reason, you cannot use anything. There was a team that was using a painted piece of grass. And I totally forgot which team this was, Coca. That there was a painted piece of grass, like a white, where they do a chalk line. Where they do a white piece of grass that was painted or or whatever for the game. And they were putting it so the spotter knew where to go, so the kicker knew where to go. And it was ruled to be illegal. They were told they cannot do that. It could have been the Eagles, Koch said. I don't know if, he, if he's wrong, then it's my fault. If he's right, it's because Coca's a genius. Every rule that's in football and every rule that's in baseball or basketball, it's looked at, believe it or not, every offseason. We go through the rule book and there are changes made to the rule book every year. You get red lines of the rule book, they're printed again because you get this memo. And this memo goes through rule changes, so you learn them and then you teach your manager, then you go to your players, you go to all of your staff. And the reason you do that is that the rules of every sport, just like the rules in every company, like the HR rules or anything, they're evolving, they're changing. What is the benefit? of the foreign object rule why wouldn't you make it better you've already made it field goal kickers it used to be that a 50-yard field goal was out of the question now pretty much 50 yards you're kicking a field goal and these guys have a leg to go 60. that makes the game exciting when you have an opportunity to come back to tie a game overtime, we never have seen the postseason overtime rules yet that are changed for this season because no game's gone into overtime. But you're doing it all to make the game better, make it more watchable, make it more competitive, while not doing anything to hurt the integrity of the game. How many of you think that the integrity of the game would be hurt by allowing some sort of foreign object in order to make it easier for a field goal kicker? that bother you? When you go through your rule book and make changes, you always do it with one thing in mind, business, because it's just business. Good luck finding a job next year in Dallas as a place kicker. This is nothing personal. This is the story of the one.